0: Welcome to the space where creators have aligned A positive and intellectual collab of open minds For sharing and learning from one another, it's a vibe We do also podcast on the mic Subscribe, Subscribe. Educators spitting bars, I guess you didn't know I might and humble taking off life goals The classroom is my comfort zone where I plant and soul Seeds of knowledge, compassion, empathy and hope Reading is the key to unlocking your potential Countless benefits including cognitive and mental Regardless of the genre, books are highly influential Go get yours, I'll get mine Make you you money mental, to walk with me and get down to this new day. My friends, I had a very simple plan. Educate the masses, the books and life lessons, it's the Grand Slam. I'm out. Salafalava, Bula, and welcome to the Reads with Russell podcast. On today's show, we have an educator and school leader who hails from Fiji, but has lived abroad and worked in the international school circuit for many years. She is a woman of faith a writer, a researcher. She is a wife and mother of third culture kids, and she is an advocate for social justice. I met her last year when I attended an online affinity group for AAPI, International School Educators. Mm -hmm. Joining us from Shenzhen, China, Mm -hmm. welcome to the show, (laughs) vāni wei
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate well, how being How are you, Vani? How I'm are good. you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You know, Vinaka Wakalevo for the invitation. I am so honored to share your space with you and being in dialogue today and looking forward to what we need and have to share.
0: Man, i have been looking i have to say i have been looking forward to this and i'm very nervous i'm trying not to be a fan girl because i know the wealth of experience and knowledge that you you're bringing to this space today as an educator as a as a uh, a woman of color and educator of color so i I'm, a, I'm just a little bit excited so forgive me if i fan Me too <laughs> okay so i guess before we begin uh, vani if you could just um Introduce yourself, and yes. then we'll get on our way. Okay. Inakarosa. Um, my name is
1: Vani Vekoso. I have two other middle names in between, you know, in real Pacific culture fashion. You know, you get named after an event or something. Um, I was born in Levuka, and if you know about Fiji, Levuka is the first capital of Fiji. Um, and then my father isn't my father Rest, rest in peace. Uh, he was an able seaman. And my dad and my mom, um, she was a homemaker. She is a homemaker. And, you know, we would call her, I would refer to her as the Minister of Home Affairs in our <laughs> family. Um, my paternal roots are from uh, Nabuke and Wenua on the island of Ngao. That's in the Lameviti province. Um, you know, in true Pacific Kazi fashion, the extended uh, family. Uh, you may have heard of the seventh mm. maestro. Um, we are cousins, extended cousins, mm. of course. And then my maternal links is to Natongan Rabu and Nasela uh, villages, which is in the province um, of Teilevu. Um, You know, growing up, my both my parents didn't finish primary school. You know, back in the days, um, but education and um, second only to to. Our Christian faith—it was something that mm. they valued, and what was imparted for us, and and kind of anchored us as we were growing up. Uh, you know, not to say that I was like that all the time, um, mm. but that was something. You know, as you know, in uh, Pacific cultures, the lotu is uh, something that we cherish. Um, my primary education was uh, also at Levuka Public School. Um, I did attend kindergarten because Levuka mm. is actually a town. Um, in the British colonizers, when they came over to Fiji, that was where they started off the administration for, for mm-hmm. the Fijian um, as a nation. Now, you know, Levuka is a really multicultural town so back then even you know i had experiences living and going to school with the rotumans um, Uh children of indian origin chinese the kiribas and then Mm we had europeans and party europeans so we were a small multicultural ecosystem back then Um, now that was from kindergarten we had a kindergarten then first grade to six Um, then My parents realized that at sixth grade or class six, uh, we knew how to speak in Fijian because that's the language we spoke at home. But in the school, everything was in English. And back Mm -hmm. then, the Fijian language was not part of the curriculum. They realized that we didn't read Fijian. So, um, you know, we had to be taught by one of our aunts who was a teacher on the island. She would come over. Um, So then we were shipped to the village school to then go learn more about the Fijian language. That's to my maternal side. Um, Something that I experienced which, you know, as I grew older, I realized the rural culture shock. Oh. Because Levuka was a town, so it was more like an urban center. But uh, yeah, that was totally different. Although I had gone to visit the village, Growing up, but being in school 24-7, I, it was, a, I, I didn't really enjoy my first year. Um, but the second year, it was fine. And then I went on to Andivakumbal School. Um, the, it's a girls boarding school, which was established in 1948 with the idea of educating young Fijian women who then mm-hmm. later on, be community leaders you know in whatever capacity that we're serving whether it is a home or a, or a job in an office or a school or whatever space that we would become leaders um, and then later on i attended the Lotoka
0: teachers college to learn to become a <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. wow that you know, I, I have uh, I want to uh, get into teaching, but I have to quickly ask uh-huh. Are you following the rugby sevens this week? Of course, I yes, <laughs> got my rugby shirt on <laughs> today. I was like, Are you trying to make a statement, Miss Vani? <laughs> yes, yes, are yes. you trying to make a oh, statement yeah. right now? <laughs> uh,
1: if, um, you, if, you've, if you've heard of the Blue Eagles, shout out to my Blue Eagles family, the Fijian group fan of um, Sevens
0: rugby. Um, yeah, I'm part of that, proud to be Yay. as well. <laughs> uh, yes, shout out to the Fiji 7s yeah. uh, team, uh, yeah, quarterfinals, uh, awesome. uh, Samoa's in the quarterfinals. Yes, <laughs> I know, Samoa has been playing so well, lately. It's very well exciting. Done. Um, wow, Fiji to the world, oh, from Fiji yeah. to the world, uh, your last point there was you, you went to teachers college. Uh-huh. What got you into teaching? Uh, what was it that, yeah, what was yeah. that uh, one, uh, how did you come to that decision? I mean, what, you know, because you talk about, uh, you know, being, I don't know, like being prepared for leadership and awesome. so many different mm-hmm. spaces, but why teaching? Mm -hmm. that's a good question Um,
1: you know from my maternal side of the family first of all I had an uncle who was a teacher cousins who were teachers so that kind of became a family thing um, being a teacher and growing up I remember my sister and I used used to play teacher you know (laughs) I'm the teacher we're learning in school we're drawing we're having our blackboards and things Um, so I've always wanted to be and then I went to high school, to boarding school, and I decided, oh, maybe I'd like to be a doctor. I tried to change mm. my mind, and then I found out that doctors have to do night shifts, um, and <laughs> I was like, no, I, I don't do night shifts. You're stop. like, not for <laughs> me, <laughs> not for me. Um, but then, so that kind of cemented my desire that perhaps going to teachers' college. Um, mm. You know, I need to give shout out to my late uncle. Um, who, was a, who played a big part in that. Um, mm-hmm. He was a principal in one of the schools back home and also my maternal um, grandfather. Um, so always reading. I, I just I can see him now always reading. Every day he's reading his Fiji Times um, or his Nailalakai on his bed. Um, so that, that influenced um, a lot of the decision to become a teacher.
0: Yeah. Mm. and then what's the plan for you always to uh move away from Fiji you know broaden your horizons and look for opportunities in education overseas mm. uh or was it something that just kind of God's timing yeah. like yeah. it happened you know
1: yeah,
0: yeah. good qu- you know what it never
1: living overseas mm. um or to go overseas from my childhood was I didn't there was never a dream or was never ever in my plan. Um, uh, but I remember in um, in boarding school, now I talked about my my names. My second name is Tikomai Chapani, which means, mm. you know, it's translated as living in Japan. Because in 1971, when I was born back home, my dad was in Japan. Um, you know, I said he's a sailor, seaman, and back then he was working for Japanese fishing boats. So that was where he was when I was born. Um, so that became part of my name. So when I was in uh, high school, we would go to the library and have a look at the magazines. And there was a magazine, I can't remember what it's called, but it, you, it's about Japan. So I'm always looking at it and dreaming that one day I would like to go visit the place where my dad was when I was born. So that was the mm-hmm. only dream I ever had about um, going overseas. Um, but talking about education... When I became a teacher, um, that never happened, uh, but I could always say, you know, it was a uh, god incident rather than uh, mm. coincident. I, you know, I was working and then, um, I had, I had true Pacific fashion of uh, fragrant babies. Um, <laughs> I, have, I had a baby, my beautiful daughter Tia, um, but then I moved to Nauru and mm. and that's where I met. Um, the father of my two children, Jake and Chloe, so, and then we went back to Fiji, but, you know, um, I, the father of my children, Jonathan, um, he didn't really, he was comfortable with the heat, it was really mm-hmm. hot in Fiji, so we moved back to Australia after our son, Jake, turned one, and then again, at a God-ordained time and place, we were both there, both teachers, but He couldn't find a teaching job i obviously i couldn't find a teaching job i was ready to retrain to be a travel agent really at that time Mm. um because there were no teaching jobs but then we met our mentor peter gotts um the late peter gotts and he was the one who then hired us um, to move to south korea and that was back in 1997. Yes!
0: Wow! <laughs> Australia <laughs> to South Korea, a, a oh, man culture shock for you when you think back to those initial oh. moments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow! You know, interesting enough when we, I, you know, I can
1: recall. Uh, Peter wrote a reference letter for us. Uh, before he left to move on to the Bahamas. And something that he wrote there was how he was um, encouraged and pleased to see when, because we were a small young family moving from Fiji, Australia to South Korea, Um, Jake just turned one, that how we kind of assimilated to, to the culture very well. I guess the school was small. Uh, international mm. school of Busan and we were so family orientated it was a very strong unit so culture shock I, I couldn't recall cult- having culture shock in that in the in that culture uh, maybe because you know I grew up with the Chinese people with the food mm. and all so I kind of made that connection that it
0: was okay Um yeah and you know on your Twitter profile <laughs> I was i you have i think yeah. about eight or nine flags on your twitter profile so i'm assuming these are countries you've lived in or at least visited tell us about these flags that are on your twitter profile and the connection to your teaching experiences uh, abroad
1: thank you um those are actually all of the countries that we've lived in and worked So I started off, you know, obviously, Australia and Fiji, but those are kind of home countries for the family. Um, I moved to Nauru. That was my first ever flight outside of Fiji. My first passport that I ever owned was to go to Nauru. Um, And then, of course, South Korea. From Mm -hmm. South Korea, we were in the Bahamas. Um, That's where my youngest, Chloe, was born. So she's our Bahamian baby. Um, Then we moved to Doha in Qatar. work at the Mm -hmm. Qatar Academy, Um, from there to Vietnam where we worked at uh, Hanoi International School, then to um, Bogota in Colombia at the English School, Fundación de Inglaterra,
0: then
1: to (laughs) Istanbul uh, where we work, Istanbul International Community School, and that's my favorite country and place in the world, apart from Fiji of course. We were there for six years. Then we moved on to Jeddah in Saudi Arabia at uh, the Cow School. Um, Unfortunately, life happened. You know, um, our marriage didn't work out. So there was a separation for the family in 2013. Uh, My children moved to Australia. Um, Chloe moved on with her her dad to Switzerland. Then I moved to to Vietnam. Um, At that point, I was remarried and from vietnam i then transition over to shenzhen china and that's where i am at
0: the moment you need please write a book about this i mean uh, we're, we're going to talk about books later so i will i will, I will get back to this point but just
1: oh yeah. my goodness
0: Bunny! Um, wow wow thank you mm-hmm. uh those are some great schools. I mean, all schools are great, but it's just I'm hearing some of the names of the schools you've been at, and it's like, goodness me, you need to write a story about this. Yeah. You need to write it down, this journey, because it's amazing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, how uh, just quickly with, you know, thinking about, you know, transitioning from school to school, like how easy at that time was it to Uh, work in that circuit you know like international school circuit like was it something many people were just doing like you're at a school Mm -hmm. for a few years and then you transition to another school Uh, yeah
1: yes yes definitely you know when we were in Melbourne and we met up with Peter Gotts and uh, and his wife Vivian you know we didn't know that international school was a thing you know, mm. so but then when we were in um, South Korea, the many countries that we've moved around, um, to it is really by word of mouth, you know, because the contracts are usually for two years, you know, and then depending on family situation and of course professional growth, um, people get to move. Mm. And, um, and for us, yeah, it was either by word of mouth, um, that. You know especially to Istanbul and the Bahamas um, and to Vietnam uh, that was just because Peter had moved to those countries and he's like come and work with us and we're like, mm. okay we'll come um, but then other opportunities was through the job phase so mm. it was like in the CIS from CIS we went to Doha and also at CIS when uh, Mr. Tom Hunt approached us with a contract because uh, he had seen our profile on CIS and saying, you know, I'm from a school in Doha, Qatar. And we were like, where in the world is Doha, yeah. Qatar? Back then, we didn't even know this was a country. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are just the opportunities, word of mouth, personal circumstances, professional growth um, that, that you then get to move to these places
0: amazing. (laughs) I'm like, oh my goodness. uh, What are some highlights of your teaching career thus far? Like when you reflect
1: yeah. You know, I have, I have a heart for, for children with special rights and learning variabilities, um, although I'm, I'm trained to be a homeroom teacher. And of course, mm. in a homeroom, there are all different abilities and variabilities. So for me, the stories that I recall are stories about these children, maybe one that was struggling with uh, um, learning how to read. You know, and I, 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 I was writing or something. Actually, I was checking my Gmail because I need to do some uh, <laughs> housekeeping and delete some things. And I, I just saw this email from this dad um, whose daughter who was struggling with reading um, that I helped. And I remember the story two years later. Her teacher then told me after I have moved from the school, you know, this child thrived in her reading because of the work that you did with her in first grade. Um, And then I remember Aisha from Qatar. I, you know, the way I, I have my, you know, I build the relationships with my students, the things that we do. um, It's, it's kind of, it's flexible. You know, I'm tolerant of noise and loudness in the classroom. Mm. I like to you know, appreciate differences and, and kind of prepare lessons according to those. I left for a workshop in Europe and then I came back and the do- and Aisha's mom asked me, you know, my daughter has been asking me, when is Ms. Vani coming back? And, and I'm like, why? She said, the cover teacher is not really has the same style as me. And she said she was actually beginning to itch like physically each that you mm. know like she's waiting for you to come back. Um yeah and then I've got this boy Neil. You know, I will connect that back to to later on when we talk about the book. Um Neil, I taught Neil for three years in uh, Istanbul, um, although he was very intelligent, very smart, but he was very active as well. <laughs> and mm. you know, some adults might just not um be appreciative of students who are maybe just active and and they they you know they try and get attention in different ways so um yeah i had to be neo's teacher for three years um, so those are my highlights i just remember those stories of those
0: children yeah mm, um what are some challenges that you've faced if any uh you know in, in relation to uh your teaching experiences you No know,
1: yeah, of course. When I started overseas, you know, I was the only Fijian in most of these schools, right? Um, when, and of course, you know, I was married to an Australian. So the perception, I guess, would have been different until I, I arrived in Doha, Qatar. Um, that was when our experiences, I experienced was different. I guess because in those other schools, we've worked with Peter who knew us. You know, Mm -hmm. so the relationship was already built with leadership, it was different. And this was a new environment. So the challenges I would face, like I said, you know, being Pacifica, you know, we're loud, we're merry, (laughs) you know, it's like, okay, everybody's talking, talking, it doesn't matter. So Mm -hmm. I guess that's how my classroom environment was like, you know, I honor Mm -hmm. the voices, it might sound loud, um, but I felt at that point that, Perhaps my supervisors didn't really understand that. Um, The way that, you know, I'm okay with noise. I'm okay. You know, they're talking, discussing, doing whatever they need to do. As long as they're learning, they know that I'm there for them, honoring their voice. That is okay with me. Um, But, and again, just being treated unfairly, not so much because of my professional abilities, but personal circumstances that uh, Mm. um, i have talked about so so those are some of the challenges it's not so much i i think from the children or it's mostly the system i would Mm. say um, are the challenges that myself as a pacific islander and a woman of color in education face that's how i would
0: say yeah that resonates with me i totally get what you're talking about I, Mm. i just um Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, how many years have you actually been teaching? Um, and how many of those years have you been overseas?
1: Yeah. Well, I
0: would thirty plus. Uh, mm. uh
1: it's all together and overseas. I gauge it from Jake's age. Jake is now twenty-seven, so it's mm. uh, it's been twenty-seven going on twenty-eight years. Oh. Yeah. It's well, it's it's yeah half of my life.
0: Mm. <laughs> I've been overseas. Yeah. You know what is it about international school teaching then that has kept you overseas for so mm-hmm. long? I know you've already mentioned um, going to some of these, transitioning to other schools, and the relationships are already in place. But what mm-hmm. what other things have kept you overseas for so yeah. long?
1: You know, I uh, this question I'm always asked because when people find out that I've lived, we've lived in so many mm. different countries, it was like. Which is your favorite? Like what? and mm. i I cannot really I know, I, I, I don't I, of course, you know Istanbul, Turkey became my favorite, but all the countries that we've lived in, they've all had some positives to offer. and mm. And for me, I always view myself, I'm a guest in this country. So, what I need to do is embrace the culture there. Of course, it's going to be different from my own. There are things that I might want to complain about. But at the end of the day, I chose to go to this country. And then, when, it, uh, you know, then getting to meet different people from different backgrounds and experiences, it's learning from them. So being mm. exposed to all these broad and varied uh, experiences, um, the learning that you get when you go on professional developments and, and just sharing, having um, discussion and dialogue with fellow educators who who kind of share the same ideas and thoughts about education. Um, mm. And I, I believe international education is really progressive, you know, compared to if I was home, like some of the, the learnings that our teachers back home in Fiji are doing, it's like, oh, I you know, i I knew about that like five, ten years ago, you know. But then for for Fijian educators, they're probably just learning about them now. So I really like that. And and you know, I kind of think about, for example, a country like China, right? Um of course, you know, I read the news in Fiji. There are biases, of course, um, and we all have that. But then coming to live in a country like in the Middle East, you know, mm. did I ever think I would end up there? No, but I love the Middle East. You know, I have a favorite aunt who lives in Australia. They lived in um, Ras al-Khaimah, which is an emirate um, next to Dubai. They were there for 25 years, and we always say, oh, we got to go back. we got to go back. So just having this wonderful opportunity to live in different cultures, experience it as a foreigner in it Mm. um, and then having the connections to other um, fellow educators who have come from different countries um, to build and grow our professional um, expertise in this field and in this space. That has kept me overseas and of course I guess personal circumstances
0: I would Mm. say. You know, I really like how you said, I chose to mm-hmm. go to this country. I chose to be in these countries. And I think that that is something very important that we need to highlight because, you know, even living here in Japan, like sometimes I will hear uh, other educators uh, complain, you know, mm-hmm. about, you know, I mean, Japan is our home country, but, oh, why do they do things this way? Or And I can't communicate. And it's like, but you chose... To come here, like, you know, uh, we need to respect the host country. Like, you actually need to make a conscious effort. You have to be proactive. And if you want to learn about the culture and the language and you want to understand, I don't think you'll ever completely understand, but make an effort, show a willingness to learn about your environment and and the people and the culture. Like, you can't go to a country and then expect to be – uh, expect things to be changed so that you're comfortable and i i, I feel like uh, i mean this is uh, this is my first international school so i'm only talking about this one experience but it's like come on like you yeah. chose to be here so my question is you know what are you doing as an educator to at least learn about your surroundings um try and understand looking look look at it through look at different situations through a different lens not I'm a foreigner, I'm a westerner, I'm here. Um, I'm the dominant voice, therefore yeah. things need to be done my way. Sorry, I went yeah. off on a tangent. No, but no, no, it's okay. It. It. Yes. it was yes. so important. Yes. I was like, that right there
1: yeah.
0: yes. is key. It is, it is.
1: So so yeah. when I'm in in this my adopted country, I will always call that any space I'm in that you know they've adopted me. I mm. I all I need to do very simple thing is just embrace it you know embrace the challenges i mean of you know we'll talk about situation here but you know be grateful i guess at the end of Mm. the day be grateful because i get to do things that i love to do is which is teaching and leading
0: in china Mm. yeah so china let's talk about shenzhen china uh yeah. Uh, how long have you been there now? Uh, okay. this uh, I'm finishing off this my
1: second year of my mm. first contract. So I've signed off for, for another year. So I'm going, I'll be moving on to my third year here in Shenzhen. Yes, oh. which is just across from Hong Kong, by the yeah. way.
0: <laughs> You're <laughs> like, hello, I'm a, yeah. hello. Yes, <laughs> hello team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what is your current role? Uh, or what is your role at your current school? And yeah.
1: Yeah. Right now I am one of the early years and primary assistant principals mm-hmm. and in that role I'm responsible for the students, staff and families from pre-k to grade two. Um, we are a, an IB continuum school as well um, mm-hmm. so you know goes from three to grade 12. Um, yeah so that's what I do here now. You
0: mm-hmm. know I um- because you're a part of leadership and I was thinking about uh, your time in the classroom. Oh, okay. So if I, if you can recall the last time um, you had your own classroom, uh, if I was a fly on the wall, I love to ask educators this question. What would I be hearing? What would I be seeing? Um, I like what you said earlier, just before, mm-hmm. uh, before about honouring
1: the voices Mm. of the Mm -hmm. students.
0: So what would I be hearing and seeing? Mm -hmm. Okay, so my last classroom
1: full-time job was back in 2016. Mm. Um, It was a fifth grade class uh, at Hanoi International School. Prior to that, I usually just, I taught early years and like Mm -hmm. lower elementary. So from KG to grade two. That, that is kind of my field that I'm, I, I feel that I'm an expert in, um, you know, definitely teaching children how to read. But in any of those classrooms, whether it's early or upper, um, as I've said, you know, you will see and hear children talking There might be some quiet time, but that doesn't happen a lot because, like I said, I tolerate noise. So there'll be discussions, you know, children just um, asking questions, making choices, um, taking ownership of their learning, being creative. There are displays on the wall that, you know, you can go see how. Uh, visible. The thinking is for children um, with support for home. In my first aid classroom when it comes to reading, I, I used to have this activity called our literacy links. So there are, you know, prompts that go home with home learning and and the children, you know, answer questions for those, they bring them back, we count the links, we link them up, we decorate the classroom. And I'm very creative and visual. So I like colorful things, as you mm-hmm. would know, you know, Pacifica people, we like colorful. Yeah. Um, and and of course, of course, you know, like I said, teaching reading to children who were struggling at the early years um, and continuing to build and develop that love for stories and books, That's that's my passion. Um, and I believe that reading to children, even mm. in early years and, and high school, upper, primary, it's really, really important. Mm. So at, um, when I, in the grade five class, every day after, after lunch, you know, children are sweating from the play and their fifth grade is puberty. We would come down on the carpet did for five minutes. I would just read to them. You know, they'll be on the sofa or on a couch cushion and just read to them to just calm them down, um, to center them back to the learning in the afternoon. Because, you know, uh, the afternoon can be a bit of a struggle for some. Um, And the book that I've I've noted down that was coming out at that time was Wonder by R.J. Yeah. So, um, so that was the book I was reading to the children and of course at that time I also had a Japanese student and a Korean student who just arrived with no English whatsoever um, You know, so that was a way to just connect with them and, and, and teach them some of these um, skills and strategies about reading and, and just loving stories and loving books
0: Mm. What are some strategies that you use to build rapport? You know, to foster those mm-hmm. uh, connections, relationships with the the various learners. Mm-hmm. Uh, in you those know, spaces?
1: yes, yeah. Um, our identity, right? Our name identifies us and and tells others about who we are in our culture and what our parents had valued. Uh, what by choosing our names. And I believe that is always the first thing. Um, as a teacher, of course, it's a small class, so you would get to know names very quickly. But as a leader, because you have to go across grade levels, and there are so many children, um, you learning their names and connecting with the children through their names is really important. That, that's one, one thing that, that I find. Um, finding a story to connect with them, um, I remember this boy, Christopher, in my KG class in Saudi Arabia. The first morning meeting on the first day, you know, kindergartners sitting around uh, trying to talk and encourage them to, he, the, he just blurted out, I hate you. I'm like, it's okay. I still love you. That's fine. Um, <laughs> so then during the year, I had to find something to connect to. And then um, he and I found out about that he loves golf. And back then, I used to play golf, Uh, not very much, so that was how we connected. You know, one day, I was sitting at my desk, he brought this little golf. I still have a present that he gave me there in my bathroom. (laughs) Um, This golf, some little golf thing, and he just going, oh, you know, I went golfing with my dad, and, and oh, I love golf, I played golf. And that was how we connected. So I always feel that it's important to find that story that you can connect with with a student because through the, that story, your story, and then connecting with their story, that is how you would foster those um, relationships. And also at the beginning of the year, I would, have, I would prepare a little gift pack for my children to welcome them to the class with a note. I would have four things in there, um, an eraser, with a note that we all make mistakes and it's okay.
0: Oh.
1: I, would have, <laughs> I would have a little jam. I would go out and look for jams, you know, from shops, Ikea. Um, and there's a note to say, you are a jam. You know, you are special in this class. I would add um, a glue, a stick of glue to say, we all stick together. That's the meaning of that. And then just a heart, you know, a red heart that I've cut out um, just to say, you know, you are loved at home your parents love you they send you to school and in school there's your teacher i'm here to care and love you too
0: yeah oh miss vani (laughs) oh you are amazing i oh man i do feel the love i'm listening to you talking about this and i'm like man Mm -hmm. you're something else wow you. (laughs) you know um Man, you know, when you think about success, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, often in, in you know, when we think about the ecosystems that are our schools, mm-hmm. success a lot, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it can be defined by looking at data, numbers and mm-hmm. things like that. But for mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. Uh, as you reflect on your experiences as a leader, mm-hmm. uh, school leader and as mm-hmm. an educator, what does success look mm-hmm. like in uh learning environment.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you. Um, you know,
1: like you said, the the point of data and numbers, it's just, you know, it's a make, how, how it's just being seen as the it when it comes mm. to uh, quantifying success. And we really need to rethink about that. And for me, in my class, in what I do, success, first of all, if a child feels that they are included Um, And then, you know, even now, you know, with our children here, when they're playing and, oh, you know, they don't want to be my friend, Um, and then trying to encourage them to include each other in the game, that for me is a sign that we've been successful in something that we do because we're all humans. Um, We all have this need to feel connected to someone or something. Um, So finding success is that students know that they're included. Um, Students know that they're capable And they can be expert learners, Um, students knowing, like I said, with the eraser that we all learn from our mistakes. But at some point, if you keep repeating the mistake, (laughs) then we need to find (laughs) something else. (laughs) This is no longer a mistake. Right. Um, Then, you know, then for us as as adults, we kind of have to start to realize, okay, there's there's a variability. There's a need in this child um, that we need to figure out what it is. With the parents, of course, you know, with other educators um, in, in the system. Um, and then students celebrating what they know and then what they don't know yet, you know, because mm. that's all the journey that we have. There are things that we know. Let's celebrate that. That's maybe where the data with the grades and the map results and the FNP would come in. Um, so we celebrate all those little milestones um, that they have achieved and at the same time also talk and discuss about where they still need to be at. And then when they reach that point, we'll also celebrate, so, yeah.
0: Mm. Uh, What other roles, you know, aside from um, leadership uh, being AP, what other roles do you Mm -hmm. have in your school? Good,
1: good question. And I always say that as a leader, we are like parents. In a home, mm. right, and in my case, uh, like a mom, because my uh, my ge- of my gender that I identify with. Um, other roles, I would say, as a confidant um, to my staff. You know, when when there's a need from them, I'm there as a soundboard, as uh, someone to offer support um, and guidance and help, especially when there's conflict. Um, I'm a pedagogical leader when it uh, comes to pedagogy. Uh, I'm a receiver. And a giver of hugs when it's needed. You know, I was just there on duty uh yeah on Friday. And this first grader just came running because um she had showed me her I you know, there's and, and of course I will say again, I'm also a cleaner. I go, you know, because I'm doing my walk, there's a piece of tissue, there's a mask, you know, I'm picking them up, putting them in the bin. And we had this campaign about masks, you know, what can we do? What action should we be taking? Um, So they're not on the ground, they're on our face or wrapped somewhere or in our pocket. Well, this uh, first grader came to me saying that she's got this little, you know, like a necklace around her neck that's attached to her. To her mask to to keep so it doesn't fall so we had planned um for me to take a video of her so and she came running with a big hug and, mm-hmm. so we had planned to do that so you know saying that my other role to be the receiver of it of course we understand this day and age like child protection mm. um, and all this about kids, but at the same time, knowing that sometimes children need that—they need that touch, right? They just need to know um, that they're cared for, that they're loved. So, of course, you know, a hug in public—that um, does not um, break those 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 rules that that we have at the, at the moment in order to keep children. Um, safe. Um, you know, my other role, I'm a reporter, as in, uh, you know, with meeting with parents, I have to mm. report some very difficult matters that might have arise from from the teachers about a student. So I get to do that. That's part of my job too, building that um, partnership with parents um, and sharing information with them and, you know, asking for their support as, as well when it's needed. So there's a lot of, hats that that is one you know checking in the the loo that it's clean and all mm. of these places and reporting to logistics if something needs to be done and checking the weather is it gonna rain right should it be raining? in a wet day so yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> man yes you wear many 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 hats um wow you know i want to talk about this term third culture kids yeah. uh you are a mother to third culture kids and i was wondering if you could uh just briefly explain the term like what that means for those who are watching or listening and have no idea what we're about to talk about
1: yeah, yeah. all right well you know a uh, third culture kids is a
0: terminology if
1: i remember correctly i guess it was a missionary family that traveled overseas um, I may have to do some more research on that because I'm trying to recall um, mm. the memory I had from when we were in Vietnam. Um, so, yeah, third culture kids are really children that have left kind of their, um, the, the, the country of their parents mm. and then moved and lived in another country. So for my children, for example, you know, Tia and Jake, they were both born in Fiji and Chloe was born in the Bahamas. But, you know, for Chloe and Jake, their dad is Australian and I'm Fijian. Mm -hmm. So they, uh, in a third, and of course, and then they moved into different countries, you know, Mm -hmm. to to Qatar, which is an Arabic culture, Mm -hmm. to Vietnam. So they, although they have Fijian and Australian roots, being a third culture is because they have moved and lived their lives and brought up in in another culture that's not their parents' culture.
0: Mm. You know, um, I was wondering about uh, cultural and identity challenges Mm. that Uh, third culture kids experience or face uh, Mm. and perhaps um, are you able to talk on that, speaking Mm. about your own children's Mm. experiences perhaps?
1: You know, it's interesting what the research says about the culture kids and their experiences, especially when they have to go back to Mm. their their home culture, so to speak. Um, For my experiences with my children, the only time we ever went back to Fiji or Australia was during the summer break. And, Mm. you know, summer break in the Northern Hemisphere, it's summer, but when we're in Australia, it's winter. It's cold. miserably cold. cold. (laughs) Um, And then I'm quickly, I'm like, let's go to Fiji. But Mm. also in Fiji, you know, it's wet season time, but although it's not as cold as Melbourne, it is still cold. And I remember we'd be there, but for us, it's summertime, you know, we're in our summer clothes and, my dad would ask, "Why are you in your summer clothes? Like it's <laughs> summer. Like I don't feel the cold." Um, but for my children, what what I found, you know, they were so um, ingrained, and they they felt at peace and at home in the third culture that they mm. lived in. Um, as an so you know, as an adult, I guess when they went back to Australia. Um, one of the things they found really hard was making friends. Mm. Um, that was the struggle they had for a couple of years uh, when they went back to Australia, because their their childhood friends in Australia are really their cousins, and mm. in Fiji it's their cousins. Um, but their friend friends that they chose for themselves they're all overseas, you know. But you know, fortunately for them, they keep in touch. And that's a great experience. I was just talking to my son lately. And, um, you know, my son, when after he graduated from high school, which was at KAUS, went back to Australia, he has tried many different things, like didn't really decide what I should be. But now he's trying to finish his art degree, which is his passion. And then just being grateful about the IB education and the experiences that he had received. Um, when we were moving around overseas. But there are definitely challenges Mm -hmm. um, to that as well, especially with identity. Uh, But it's really important, like for my son, he identifies more as a Fijian. Like, you know, he likes his Fijian roots. Chloe um, is more, you know, leaning towards her Australian roots. So Mm -hmm. again, it's just a matter of making sure that they are
0: both grounded in that. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So does that so living abroad, were you more did that uh, were you more intentional in terms of teaching your kids about you know the val- cultural values and traditions that your own parents taught mm-hmm. you uh, or was it more about just letting them explore mm-hmm. at their own will and navigate the spaces yeah. that they were in? Yeah. You know what I, I would say
1: half and half right um i was intentional um with talking to them about fiji and that's why i you know i made it a point to take them home um Mm. i remember um chloe at one point when we were in fiji and then we went back to australia she just decided to go fiji looks old (laughs) <laughs> and I and then I, I kind of thought maybe the the weather at that time or the buildings in Fiji, it's not as flashy as the Melbourne mm. skyscrapers and all of that. That was just my thinking. Um, but I was intentional in making sure that every summer we go back home mm. and that, you know, to Australia to to spend time with Australian family. And to Fiji to spend time with Fijian family. And when we're there, there's always festivities that's happening, you know, maybe a soli in the village, uh, like fundraising, or the lotu, you know. So I would always take them to those. And, you know, we wear our Fijian clothes with the colorful flowers and everything. Um, But when we are back in our own space, I remember in uh, South Korea, Jake was one at that point, no, he was one, two, three, like he would speak. Korean, understand Korean from uh, our edema, Ms. Mm -hmm. Sheen, And I would speak to to him in Fijian. And, you know, so those were kind of the two languages he he would kind of converse with, but not so much in English. Um, But then dad didn't Mm -hmm. know what we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So he kind of felt left out, which then for me, I just then reverted back to English, um, which is something I regretted. Um, So language, I really didn't teach my children to speak Fijian. However, when they're home and families are speaking it, they can understand it, but they just don't have the the right words in the right uh, structure to to say it back. So, yeah, so I would say half and half. I was intentional about some parts of it, uh, but not so much the language.
0: Mm. Mm. Um, You are a writer and a researcher. Mm. Um, I read in your notes that you started writing stories in 1997 in South Korea. So I wanted to ask about that. Like, can you recall what it was about that particular time and place that actually prompted you Mm. to start writing stories?
1: Thank you. Um, I was teaching kindergarten class at that time, and we were doing a unit, I guess it was on frogs in particular or just nature, And I was looking for for stories about frogs in the library for kindergarten, Um, but I could only find the stories about frog and toad. (laughs) That's serious, frog and toad. (laughs) I I don't think my kindergartners would really connect (laughs) with this one. So um, I then wrote one about the tree frog, you know, camouflaging and and you know my simple artistic impressions of the tree frog on a tree um i can i can visualize the book right now but i think i've lost it in all the movement that we've been doing Um, so that was where the idea of writing a book was first birth for me
0: Hmm. you know um, what other writing have you done and uh, like where did uh, okay so that is you know classroom teacher Mm-hmm. Uh, your, but where else do you get your ideas for your writing? Yeah. And then um,
1: I was going to say something else about that. Anyway, uh, when it came to the journey that I'm on now with the mm-hmm. stories, that happened, um, so that was South Korea, that was my first, um, Bahamas, then we went to Qatar, Vietnam, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. So in Vietnam, I also started to write a story uh, with my children in it. Now, my my ideas are always influenced by my family experiences, my personal experiences. Mm. Um, But then I would fictionalize it, you know, to then make it a realistic fiction. But there could be something that happened in our family that would Mm -hmm. then trigger an idea. Um, For example, when we were in um, South Korea, there was a big, the harvest festival, Chuseok, which we we celebrate and we had my good uh, friend, Catherine Hildreth, shout out to Catherine. She's in the US at the moment. Um, She would invite us to her family for the Chuseok family feast. And then we were in Doha, there's Garangao. Which is like Halloween, where the children also go around and ask for sweets. We in the Bahamas, there's this festival called Junkanoo, which is a New Year's festival. Um, and then in Vietnam, there's Tet, the celebration of the New Year. So I had this idea that I could write about Jake celebrating all these different celebrations mm. in these different countries with names that you know I didn't know: Garangao was a festival, but then I experienced that in in Doha. So I have those stories in my vault, they're still there. Um, And then, yeah, so it's it's those things, like little one experience from the family that I would then go, oh, how could I take this experience and then um, write a story about it? Um, Mm. I will talk about that as well, kind of a story that I already have Mm. that's featuring my son about, one experience that we had in hanoi
0: yeah. so you know i want to talk about miss vani the author everyone miss vani who wears many many hats not as an educator as a mother as a wife she mm-hmm. is also an author mm-hmm. uh elif the uh, i hope i don't know if i meant said that correctly elif the chimney fairy it's a children's book Yes. Uh, tell us about your children's book *Elif, the Chimney Fairy*. Okay, now um,
1: friends—you know this word, friends. Making friends, keeping friends—it's um, such an important concept, even from childhood. So *Elif, the Chimney Fairy*, and and I believe. Well, we I, we all know, like even as adults, we need. Our besties, we need our BFFs mm-hmm. at any stage in our lives. Having a best friend or having a group of friends is really important um, for our well-being. And you know, just you know, having the time to chat and talk and catch up and say do silly things, even from like the boarding school I went to, you know, we are a sisterhood. I still have my good friends from that time that we, you know, still communicating even until today. Um, so, Elif the Chimney Fairy is kind of based on my um, my experiences with my girlfriends in Turkey. That you know, mm-hmm. Turkey has a very special place in my heart. Um, so, as an adult, the that friendship that I developed while I was there, because at the same time, you know, I was also having personal struggles. Mm-hmm. So, my friendship. Was very important, you know, having my circle of friends. They were really important to me. So then I and when we were leaving um, Turkey, and I, Cappadocia, the setting of the story, it's just magical. Like I don't know if you've been, but you need to go. It's just <laughs> out of the world. The landscape is amazing, like caves and all of this business, and they have these structures. Um, that are protruding out of the ground that are shaped like toadstools, but like mm. big. And they're called fairy chimneys. That's what they're called. Fairy chimneys. But then I kind of changed that and and called the 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 story Elif, the chimney fairy. And Elif is the name of my best, best friend, my Turkish oh. friend, my first friend that I ever made, who is still my friend now. Wow. Oh. Um, so, so the names in the in the book they're real names mm. of my friends, um, and and the place is also real. Cappadocia is a real place, but the story that that I molded around this concept of, of friendship and and courage, um, you know, in the story they, there's a gnome who was a bully. So all these concepts that children could also identify in mm. in a school, and especially this um, the, the idea of the bystander, like what do you do in a situation as a bystander um, when you're seeing like a, an, a bullying thing going on? So that is why, you know, the blurb says a story about courage and mm. story about friendship um, and it's a story about sacrifice. So it will be, yeah, so I had, yeah. So, the, so they're all fairies, but the sacrifice part
0: at the end is is kind of what made the story. I'm excited. I'm. I. I cannot wait. I want to promote the book. I cannot wait to read the book. Uh, yeah. You know. Um, I'm. I'm so excited for you. And I remember when I. F- I noticed that tweet that one time when you s- tweeted about it. And I was like. Yep. Yeah. She's also an author. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Miss Vani, really? Okay, I mean, I was excited. So I uh when when can we buy the book? Would you know? Do you have a release date? At at this point, uh
1: because it's published in Australia, it will go um, it will be on Amazon. Um, and they're also talking about a Kindle version, um, an ebook, like all these publishing things i am not really familiar with uh, so perhaps and i hope by the end of november um, that it will come out uh, my original plan was december because the setting mm. of the story is in december um oh. and that's like that's ellipse birthday month as well Is in december but it will be sometime between now and before christmas i hope
0: exciting exciting absolutely I cannot wait um but you mentioned the publishing then so can you take us through that process of writing the book um especially when like I was wondering in terms of publishing did you reach out to someone that you met through education or Mm -hmm. illustrations is that someone that you also met through education
1: Right. Now, you know, when I was when we were in, um, you know, I've started writing these stories like, you know, Jake uh, celebrating Chusok in this place. And we were in Vietnam when I started going, oh, you know what? I should probably find a publisher for my stories. Um, So I was searching and there's a company in New York. It's called Lee and Lo. And they their vision is to is to publish multicultural books by multicultural mm-hmm. authors. Um, however, you know, I didn't really get to contacting them because of all the crazy business of life. Um, mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I, I wrote the manuscript when we were leaving um, Turkey. Not until we were transitioning from Hanoi to China, packing up, I found the envelope and I go, what's in this envelope? And I took that out. Oh, my manuscript of my story. <laughs> I should really do something about this. It's like, it's been 10 years. So when we got here, what I did, I just did a search, you know, right now publishing houses, they they would like uh, pub- submissions from authors who are already known or published or who have an agent. And I'm like, I don't have an agent. Mm-hmm. Um, So um, I just reached out to Google some places to just find out you know which which publishing houses are accepting unsolicited <laughs> submissions <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I I kind of whittled it down to maybe three names mm. um, so then I found Aurora publishing house the you know their self-publishing uh, company and I thought oh maybe I'll reach out to them so you know I did I sent I uh, submitted my um, my story and you know the cover um and then six months later i was just about to wake up and go take a walk by shenzhen bay and you know have a look across to hong kong i saw this email i'm like oh aurora house i didn't didn't really recognize it because and then i opened it and it's like hey, they're publishing my story. <laughs> so, so that was then. You know, and then I reached out to to Ina Isnaedi. She's one of our art teachers here at school. She's from mm. Indonesia. She is also a third culture kid mm. um, to ask her if she could illustrate the book. Um, and then, you know, my idea that I, I wanted was watercolors because I, I love mm. how watercolors can um, provide the imagery that, that I was thinking about. Um, And she gladly partnered with me, so she then became the illustrator.
0: Oh, congratulations. I've, again, I I cannot wait. Um, you know, are you someone who likes to write on your phone? Uh, you know, you're walking and then you get ideas. Are you someone who carries a notebook? Are you the type of writer who always has her laptop? Uh, where do you create
1: these stories? You know, um, I know I have, I have lots of journals. Like I have Ah. couples of journals. So, Um, You know, I have an idea and I would come home and then I would write it in my journal Mm. and any time of the day, like I don't have a preferred time Mm. or space, Um, you know, then I'll come home and then I'll I'll have my journal or if I'm at my computer, then I'll just jot it down on my I am author file, you know, there's a folder. On my laptop that i i just jot out notes and and things like that so um but you know who knows maybe if i have to quit my day job and be a (laughs) full-time author then i might have to find a space and time for for doing that
0: um who are some writers that inspire Hmm. you
1: okay i have a list here i need to remember this you know when I was not writing, you know, just reading, working all the time. I love um, John Grisham and Patricia oh. Cornwell's novels. Yes. I, I just, yeah, I love, I love the thrill in, you know, finding out about solving cases in the world, <laughs> um, and you know, the stories that the novels that John Grisham writes about, all the characters in in his story and the plot, it, it just resonates with me.
0: Oh. You know, I read that you'd like to complete your doctorate. Yeah. So I was wondering, you know, what is your research area uh, or specialist Uh area of study?
1: Okay. Now, my proposal that I have sent off, uh, I'm actually, I was supposed to start my doctorate last summer, but Mm. because of the COVID situation in China, I had to defer it to 2024. So my proposal that I sent out that I would like to do my doctorate on is about the ladder builders for women of color in international education now mm. why ladder builders of course you know being a pacific islander and a woman of color in leadership in international education um there's probably i mean i don't know maybe if i can maybe count my hands how many there are i don't know really I'm just including me. I know of another one like in the Middle East, mm. um, but who else? I'm not too sure. You might you might know more than, than myself about Pacific mm. Island women of color who are in leadership in international mm. education. But my journey to where I am now, there were obviously other leaders that supported me and helped me along the way. Um, you know, at some point I, I had felt, oh, you know, there was no women that supported me, but there was actually one um, that supported my, my journey. Others, I would say no. Um, mm. So I'm interested in finding out these ladder builders. Like I worked in nine different schools and I could say 14 different leaders in their capacity that could promote me to be a leader. But mm. out of the 14, I could only count five leaders who saw my potential as a leader. Mm. Um, You know, one of them was Peter Gotts, so down to four leaders. I wanted to know who these people are, like what are their experiences, what are their attitudes towards people of color, women of color, that made them see my potential to be a leader, to then invite me to this table, Mm. you know. Um, so, and then how, how could, what they share their experiences, their attitudes, what they value about leadership and to then go, you know, all other leaders who have the capability and the potential and the, I know they just have the power, I guess, to, to lead, to give this, to invite and to see this capability of this scholar that could become a leader, but is a woman and a woman of color specifically, um, how could they then learn as well from these, I would say, four leaders that mm. I identify as my ladder builders. But the 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 plan is I would identify myself, reach out to my four ladder builders, and then I have other women friends that i Pacific Island origin first and then I guess women of color in general who mm. they identify as their letter builders to then reach out to them with the questions that I have provided so kind of it's a snowball snowball technique it's called
0: oh I can't wait to learn more about oh. your uh, yeah. just ladder builders man mm. I, was, I was reading your notes you know and then I was just like wow letter builders that's such a that's a really cool term. Cool I like
1: term. that. Yeah, it's, I credit that to John C. Maxwell. He's one of my, um, you know, mm. John C. Maxwell, he's a leader in circular. He talks, he does a lot of talk, but he's he's of Christian faith. So, um,
0: mm. yeah. Oh. You know, mm. you're also passionate about social justice. Uh, so I was wondering uh, what are some issues that mm. are close to your heart that mm. you advocate for Mm -hmm. well you
1: know in international education right now it is for with children with special rights Mm -hmm. um, and children with learning variabilities i guess it all depends like when we're talking about inclusion in international schools it is how different educational systems interpret the term inclusion um, it will look different from one school to another. So depending on, on the context that I am in and the, what the policy says, which you know I have to abide by, but when students are in our school that may have special rights and learning variabilities, that I take it as my professional um, role and responsibility to ensure that their, their needs are taken care of, that, um, that there are supports there for them so they can access curriculum um, and also in partnership with their parents. Uh, but mm. the big picture later on, you know, the education system in Fiji is not really good. <laughs> so I'm also passionate about that. So really the mm. issues around education um, mm. for early learners, for children with special mm. rights, um, and then which is part of what I would like to have an impact on later on after I'm done with international education. So, yeah.
0: How can we create equitable learning spaces mm. uh, within our mm. schools? You did mention inclusion mm. and it really depends mm. on the context that you're in. Um, mm. Yeah, how, 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 how can we mm. do that as educators?
1: Mm. Mm. You know, I guess the first and foremost, we must all – um have this understanding that children are capable learners you know even from early years even if they they speak a different language and and this is something I've learned from the Reggio Emilia project that being metaphorical the materials that they use that is a language you know it doesn't always have you know for example Um, let's say, Fijian language speakers and who are English language learners in a classroom, um, when when the children is nonverbal in in maybe talking about the mug, they can only draw it or they can maybe use wire or something to create it. That is their language of expression. It is not always about English if they're learning English in a school, right? Mm. So we, we have to honour that. And of course, our, our responsibility as the educator is to then provide those scaffolds for them um, so they can get to, to the level that we hope that they would get to. So when we're providing equitable spaces for them, it's honouring that they are capable, um, as teachers, we need to continue to upskill ourselves in professional development that provides us with the knowledge and expertise and understanding um, that would then help us to create these environments for them. The, the context and you know, one of the learning that I've been doing is uh, using the UDL principles, Universal mm. Design for Learning principles, that you know helps to identify and break those barriers for learning for students um, and providing the transactional supports that they would then need to access curriculum and, you know, promoting um, inclusion. And one of the questions when we're thinking about culturally responsive curriculum Mm. is this question, when I have uh, a lesson, when I'm preparing a lesson and or I'm sharing this text, whether it's mathematics or science, for educators to keep asking ourselves from what I am providing the child or the student, what is in it that would help them identify themselves and their culture being Mm. represented in, in this? You know the text that they are reading, the book that they are reading. How? What? What is? What is this helping the student to connect with? The, to, to 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 see that they are being represented.
0: Mm. Very true. Yeah. Mm. You know. Um, I was really shocked when I met you in mm-hmm. the AAPI space, mm-hmm. affinity space mm-hmm. that uh, ELOC. A shout out to Kevin and the ELOC yes. uh, family yes. uh, of educators uh, mm-hmm. and professionals and for the work mm-hmm. that they do in international school spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, but mm-hmm. when I met you on there, like I, I, I was just like, oh my gosh, wait, she looks Fijian. <laughs> oh no, wait. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, <laughs> there's like another, you know, I was freaking yes. out. It, it was, I was. I was attending it I was feeling overwhelmed at that time I was just it was just real difficult time uh, at work and I was just like I'm going to go to the space and then when I turned up and I I was like oh my goodness there's a Fijian woman but why why have I never seen you before and of course attending these ELOC spaces was also very new for me as well but it was very cool because mm-hmm. I honestly had never seen people that looked like me or just yeah. the Pacific. You know, I'd never yeah. seen that before. And I was wondering, you know, you've mentioned a lot of the times you were at these schools and being the only Pacific person there, a Fijian there. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you met um, a, since then other yeah. Pacific Island uh, yes. women in in, in ILOC spaces or uh,
1: CIS spaces yeah, or not yeah. so much? Mm. Um, not so much in E-Lock uh, spaces or CIS, but you know I know of a, of a good colleague from the International School in Suva, Mrs. Naisara. Yeah. She was here in China. Um, and there were a couple of uh, teachers as well from the International School in Fiji that came to Suzhou. Um, mm. Actually, she, she left this school year, and I know um, now the, there's a school in Dubai, I think it's mm. called the Emirates National School, that uh, a lot of Fijian teachers um, are at. And I guess, if I heard correctly, there's one as well somewhere in um, Eastern Europe, Serbia, or maybe one mm. of those countries. But back then, I remember on my, one of my CIS visits, uh, my first one actually, back in 2003 uh, we were asked to introduce ourselves and uh, you know something unique about ourselves um, and I remember my team chair back then Robert Landau I was like thinking how oh, what could I what could I share and I, I just realized yes at that time you know during my travels around I have not met another Pacific islander uh, in international education and those t- teachers and my team as well was like yeah, you're right. I've never met another Pacific Island or another Fijian in international education. Um, so having these spaces uh, and the work that they're all doing, um, I believe is really powerful and enabling for, for people like ourselves um, who identify in those spaces. And yes, I, I concur. I am grateful for the work that they do.
0: You know, you mentioned CIS, and, mm. uh, and to, you're part of the accreditation and evaluation yes. teams for CIS. Wow. How did you get involved in that? Wow, that, that was through Peter Gott, our mentor wow. as well,
1: um, yes. when we were in, uh, in Vietnam the first time around. Um, yeah, He was one, like I said, ladder builders, right? I've counted. My hands is only five. He's, he's passed on now. So he mm. really saw my potential. Um, to be part of the accreditation and he encouraged me to go and that's how I started off Um, then after that it was training um, and then after that you know going on visits of course pre-COVID face-to-face but Mm. now since I'm based in China um, it's always online I've done um, team leader training as well but haven't had the opportunity to actually lead a team because I'm here um, but then, yeah, aside from CIS, I do also train for NIASK and WASC and, oh. and uh, with ID
0: uh, as program leader. Lots of training, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Man, um, how do you yeah. find a the balance then between your roles and responsibilities mm-hmm. and all those hats that you wear as an educator? trainer. Um how do you find that balance with being a mom, a wife, and just your life outside of mm. teaching and education? Yeah. You know the word balance from
1: the <laughs> IB Learner Profile attributes <laughs> come come into the yeah. forefront. <laughs> Um, you know, it's interesting. I guess, you know, I, I talked about the value of a Christian faith that my parents imparted to us. And, and I found that to be my foundation, to be my anchor, to what grounds me with all this craziness that's going on, right? When I'm at school, you know, during my teaching time, that's when I'm planning. And on mm-hmm. Saturday mornings, I would take a chunk of that time to go and prepare and plan my class, Um However, what I have learned um, going through, you know, the personal um, struggles we had um, when we were in Saudi Arabia, you know, in that in that ecosystem, I should say, there are very intelligent people, Hmm. scientists, research scientists. But we also had a small church. You know, we were very um, fortunate, very blessed to in a Muslim country like Saudi Arabia to have a church. So there was one sermon that one of the research scientists um, preached about was about rest. You know, like even in that highly intelligent, crazy university setting, um, to find rest, take take a day out to just rest, and you know you have been given six days to do all the work that you can do as a wife, as a mother, as an educator. Um, to then get that one day to just rest. And, and that was a big lesson for me. Um, and that is what I do now. Like I have a day, I don't do any schoolwork. You know, I do family stuff, fun stuff, mm-hmm. um, but I don't do schoolwork because the six days I've been given to do all that um, so that I can find that balance between, you know, my honoring my responsibilities as a mother and a wife Um, and then my work as well Mm
0: -hmm. to all my fellow teachers educators who are listening and watching are we taking note of this six days six days to get everything done (laughs) note to self note to self
1: (laughs) Uh, let me add on to that you know of course you might not get all the things done in six days but what Mm -hmm. I have found for myself you know, I guess this is again, you know, it's a God factor. It's my Christian belief and all that when you give that day to rest, you will find that you have a lot more energy, a lot more extra time during the six days to finish up all that you need to do.
0: I agree with you. Absolutely. I'm not even arguing because I absolutely believe that as well. And, um, that was such an important reminder, Vani, because I know I that I know exactly what you mean and I totally agree. And it's a reminder to me as well, because you know, sometimes I forget the six days, oh, you know. <laughs> um, but absolutely, yeah. When I do have that rest day, I realize mm-hmm. um, I'm more productive throughout the week and and really utilize it, getting through the to-do lists. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm so yeah. good <laughs> yes, it is. you know i wanted to uh talk about the covert situation in china um mm-hmm. you know global media social media networks you know mm-hmm. timelines and you read the, the the twitter feeds and the portrayal of of these contained lockdowns in china it always shows chaos mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. videos of chaos mm-hmm. And Mm. I was wondering, you living there, what what are you actually seeing from your Mm. uh, personal experiences? Um, Yeah, what is it that you're I'm I'm in
1: Shenzhen, and Mm. fortunately for us at this point, I believe, you know, the councils or whoever is responsible, um, they probably, from what I've heard, you know, they're Mm. aware that parents really don't want online learning. It's mm. just detrimental to, to the children and to themselves as well because they're working and they're busy. And now they, you know, I guess COVID taught parents what jobs that we teachers do, that it's a difficult job. You know, they mm. got a taste of it when they had to do it themselves at home. But um, right now, it's now just pocket lockdowns. Um, mm. In the past, yes, it's been like blanket lockdowns for the whole city but you know we've been taken care of I'm so fortunate because our school I live in um, school accommodation you know mm. our our board our logistics team they're delivering food for us and mm. anything that we need so we've been very fortunate with that um, yes I, I you know I do hear and see the videos about the chaos in the different mm. cities and of course you know my heart goes out to them had a a good friend that experienced that with their family too, who in another city. Um, but again, like I said, you know, I'm I'm a guest here. You know, they have their own rules and and the mm. way that they think is best for uh, for the people of China. So, what mm. do I need to do? Uh, be grateful that uh, you know I still get to have a job. Be grateful that uh, you know I have food. I have water to drink, I have this opportunity Mm. to go on Wi-Fi 24-7 because this would not (laughs) happen in Fiji if I was in Fiji for sure. Um, So, yeah, other than that, yeah.
0: And then in terms of the learning uh, environment at school, how do, Mm. uh, you know, uh, as a school leader, how do you keep up morale uh, in in the learning spaces, especially with, you know, these pockets of uh, lockdowns and things Mm. going on? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, you know, um, making sure that we are checking in um, individually with teachers and classes, Mm. um, with with our staff. Um, It is more about, you know, now and again, little treats with appreciation notes. Um, We do shout outs when when it's a special day, like tour conferences, we this the plt the leadership team you know we provide again little treats there was one we did with ice cream and just sending out a shout out you you are legendary legendary teachers or you know chips and salsa chip chip ahoy those (laughs) kinds of things you know just silly things they might sound silly but the teachers appreciate them as like a surprise in the afternoon There's a left to our legendary teachers. There are ice cream in the fridge for you. And uh, and so for teachers, we do that. You know, for for students, it's really about checking in. We have Mm. a social-emotional program that we do, um, promoting a responsive classroom and positive uh, behavior um, Mm. with our children, you know, in this culture. It's a bit different from Pacific culture, right? Pacific, all the kids are straight. These... Children, they're mostly raised by either grandmothers or IEs, so parenting might be a little bit different. Um, so ensuring that we are also connecting with parents and checking in um, when we see like a change in behavior in the children mm. in the school, whether they're in country or they're out or what's going on. So there's just a lot of checking in and you know meetings and making sure that um, children are, t- are happy and being taken care of. And, and so
0: as the teachers. Mm -hmm. that is very cool um Mm -hmm. i love that and you know you're saying you know it might seem silly to others Uh, not at all like i just Mm -hmm. think it's those little things that it helps you know teachers feel valued Mm -hmm. and shows that you Mm -hmm. care that your team cares for what they're doing and their their wellness and and you know mental Mm -hmm. health so that's so cool um you are a woman of faith Uh, Do you have a, you know, you have talked about, I love what you said right at the beginning, God incident, you know, God, Mm. it's not a coincidence. (laughs) You know, everything is like, you know, God's timing and God led uh, God as guide. And I was wondering if you have a favorite verse or a hymn Mm. that keeps you um, motivated because you know, life is not all about it, it's not always happy. You know, there are times yes. when mm-hmm. it's a real mm-hmm. you're, you're questioning mm-hmm. <laughs> decisions mm-hmm. that perhaps you've made or things yep. that have happened, yep. and why me? So, yep. um, favorite yeah. verse, or yes.
1: huh? um, it, yeah, um. There was that. um, What was that hymn? It it is well. It is well, Mm. my soul. That's one of my favorite hymns. It is well with my soul. And my favorite verse. I have it up here. Everything is possible. With Mm. God, everything Mm -hmm. is possible. You know, from from my childhood to to my marriage. You know, one failed. I remarried, and I I I was gonna say at the beginning. You know, I, I need to. Uh, honor the the man in my life, those two who chose to marry me, the father of my children. Actually, they're both fathers of my children. That's a long story. The second, <laughs> my 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 husband Jonathan Twig is the father of my two children, Jake and Chloe, uh, and my current husband just so happened to be the father of my oldest daughter so that's a full circle weird story mm. um but you know all these challenges you know as a woman of color going through a divorce in saudi arabia you know mm. being overseas having to that that, that that's difficult but i you know i'm so grateful to to my family my circle of friends um who were there to to support me you know in prayers or just visits laughs um those Those are are important things that you need to have in your life. And and for me, my faith um, really grew during that Mm -hmm. difficult time I went through in Saudi Arabia. And to think, you know, Saudi Arabia, this is a Muslim country. How can my faith be built there? But that Mm -hmm. was where it did. You know, our small church community that we had there. Um, you know, the fasting and praying that I did, I was really seeking God because what did I, what did I have? Nothing. I had nothing, you know, I lost things. So, um, that really, like for now, okay, if I don't have any money, I don't have food. I, I know God will provide, you know, I, I, that, that, little mustard seed had grown at that time. So you, it's one of those lessons I've learned. You have to go through challenges. Um, to then maybe find out what big God is, how big he is, and, and all the riches and abundance that he promises. Like right now, you know, like you said, you no know, father, oh, she's an author too. Like not not by strength, not by might, not mine at all. All, all the glory to God, I would say.
0: Yeah. Oh, and then, you know, self-care. Um yeah. You know, I love to ask my guests this because they are always very busy people like you. Uh, how do you, yeah, how do you take yeah. care of yourself outside of teaching and education? All
1: right. I'm a homebody. I love my <laughs> home space, you know. I love massages. Um, I get three-hour massages at home. I have a masseuse that I'm grateful yeah. for that comes and, and, and gives me massages. Um, I love to watch sermons on my YouTube channel. I love to listen to songs, Fijian song. I've lost track of artists, like, I don't know, the last one I hmm. know about from ages ago because i don't listen to them anymore not that i'm not interested i don't know mm. um you know gospel songs I, I read my books i have my books i catch up with my family and my friends um i have my favorite aunt in australia shout out to her uh we just talk for hours just laughing or you know i catch up with Elise. um the occasional movie i like to watch You know, based on true stories, as soon as I see based on a true story, I'm clicking on that one um, Mm. just to watch, you know, so just keeping that balance. I love to go out for dinners. um, And when, you know, it's summertime or holiday time, you know, I I like to um, to go travel and see places Um, and then just remaining positive, you know, just just remaining positive, just having that mindset that, yes. Everyone is struggling. There's a challenge. Um, mm. Does that mean that I don't go through challenges? No, I, I go through challenges. There are there are battles I'm fighting myself. No one knows about. But, um, you know, just give making, giving a positive outlook on life and just being grateful, you know, like mm. say, oh, I get to go to work. I don't have to go to work, but I get to go to work, you know, because I have a job. Others don't, so.
0: So just rephrasing things man I, I feel like you've shared so much in this podcast like you've done so many things you've really stepped out of your comfort zone but I'm pretty sure that you still have goals and aspirations like there are still <laughs> yeah. things that Miss Vani over here <laughs> wants to achieve so yeah Please share, share yes, with us. Yes, of what course. other goals well, do you have in mind?
1: My first goal, obviously, is to um, finish my doctorate, um, mm. you know, and that would be in 2027 if all goes well. Um, and then eventually when I'm done I'm serving, you know, my family and students overseas, uh, I'd like to go back home to Fiji um, and get into politics. Not that mm. that is a bad thing um, because yeah. I believe that it is, you know, serving at national level that I could have an impact on educational policies and mm. and things that could change back home. Um, but obviously first I need to be back home, you know, do what I need to do with my community and within my community um, mm. and then later on find an opportunity to to get into politics and, you know,
0: you're so brave.
1: <laughs> yes, Fiji elections happening <laughs> December 14th. So, mm-hmm. you know, shout out to my friends, my girlfriends from my boarding school, Seni Nambo, Tanya Wanganika, and Linda Taboya who will be standing in this wow. uh, election. So I wish them well, too. Fiji needs a change.
0: Yeah. and i mean if a book was written about your life what oh, would yeah. it be called
1: i know lovely a uh, great question i love that question because you know i'm already actually working on it Ooh. um and it's going to be called the light of the dragonfly
0: Ooh. tell us more or if um, you can or what yeah, that means you know, I, light I, of the dragonfly
1: right of the dragonfly you know like like you said and and I know my my life story. You know, I've, I've mm. experienced so many different things. Um, I remember experiencing depression even when I was here in quarantine the first time I came over from um, um, Hanoi to to China. Um, mm. You know, and I've heard about people getting depressed, and I'm like, nah, nobody could be, depressed. and I I experienced it. Um, you know, being I I felt isolated. Because I couldn't contact family because of the VPN issues in China and all this, so right. I was depressed for three days. Until the third day, um, my friend from India called me, and I was like, falling. oh, so mm. cute. And then I felt so good after the cry, you know. So it's like, okay, depression is a real thing. Um, yes, the light of the dragonfly. I uh, chose a dragonfly. I'm kind of having it here. It's there's a thing about. I will read it out. It says, having flown the earth for 300 million years, dragonflies symbolize our ability to overcome times of hardship. They can remind us to take time to reconnect with our own strength, courage, and happiness. And in in biblical terms, um, dragonflies mean the light of God. So uh, Mm -hmm. my plan is to call my book, light of the dragonfly.
0: <laughs> I'll be looking out for that, Yes. patiently waiting <laughs> for you. that to happen. And <laughs> uh, Do you have any book recommendations? Yes,
1: I do. You know, my the for children's book, I love these, uh, these authors. I remember you talk about that, of course, Julia Donaldson, um, The Gruffalo, I love. Now, this also part of the inspiration for, for Elif, for the Chimney Fairy. Um, this is Julia mm. Townsend. Um, she's an author that kind of deals with issues and matters in the Middle East. So she wrote that one. And Jenny, the late Jenny Overend. Um, mm. So that's Chulas' book. She wrote Princess Grandma, which is based on a Fijian bumbu. Um, mm. So she's an Australian author. And her book, I actually bought it from a book fair at the Caucasus, um Conference in South Korea back then but I lost the book in the hurricane in the house. Uh. (laughs) It was in the car. Um, And then for adult stories, I love um, Pastor Joseph Prince um, for Grace Revolution. You know, that's my connection to faith. Um, Mm. As a woman of color, I love the stories about Michelle. Mm. You know, I've read Becoming, and this is called the meaning of Michelle, very empowering. And for educational purposes, you know, as we're talking about inclusion and diversity and in communication and dialogue, um, this one, reframing community partnerships in education, is about um, community learning exchanges, how we are in dialogue with the community when it comes to an issue, like a social issue or an issue to do with equity um, in schools. So those are my three recommendations um, mm. for anyone who is listening.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Vani. Man, I, I feel like we could just talk for hours and hours and hours. Um, You know, as, as the podcast uh, mm-hmm. comes to a close, mm-hmm. I just wanted to take this opportunity uh, before I give you uh, the opportunity for final mm-hmm. words. I just want to say thank you uh just uh, thank you so much it's been yeah. such an honor to mm-hmm. share the space with you to listen uh to your sharing uh just your journey i'm an awe <laughs> and as, as an educator um uh, mm-hmm. hearing from a another pacific woman mm-hmm a pacific leader in in the international school spaces i'm really in awe it's very inspirational Um, i'm just i'm feeling very moved i'm feeling some kind of way like it's uh, just keep on being amazing um i yeah i I didn't even know what to say i'm just feeling i'm just really filled with joy right now and just so Um, It's such a blessing. I feel so grateful that I met you that one time that I went to the AAPI space um, and have been following you ever since. So I'm excited for your book, your children's book. Um, I can't wait to promote it on my social media yeah. accounts and um i just yeah. really want to wish you and your family all the best we're in november now yes. uh, christmas is nearly upon us yeah. so you know wishing you all the best for the remainder of the year mm-hmm. um take care of yourself out there yeah. stay yeah be good be happy and um mm. just keep oh. on advocating for yeah. our learners mm. Mm. Thank you so much.
1: <laughs> that, that is really touching. You know, I am also honored to share this space with you. I mean in your program. And and I also hope that, you know, whatever we discuss today, whoever is listening, if it's only one, you know, I always say that for my for my class and my students as well. If I at least touch one life, you know, if I have an impact on one, if, so, if one person is encouraged. One person is blessed. Then, then our job is done. Well, at least my purpose has been served um, on your platform, you know. And on that note, I just want to remind whoever is listening today that um, this is a reminder that I have myself uh, in my workspace is that I am special. And if you are listening, you too are special. And every day, just know, you know, when you wake up and you're going out there that you are going somewhere, you're going to serve somebody so that they also know that they are special. Um, and that is really important um, to, to make other feel, others feel like that as you would, but that would only come if you, all, you are feeling special yourself, despite the challenges, right? And, and then when it comes to challenges, I'm always reminded that I have to give thanks in all circumstances. Um, Right now, I cannot go across to Hong Kong to watch the Hong Kong (laughs) Sevens. Uh, But what can I do? I can take a walk to Shenzhen Bay, look across, and I can see Hong Kong. Wave your
0: flag. Yes. Wave your flag.
1: Um, So give thanks in all circumstances. Does that mean that we're always going to be happy? No. Um, There are going to be circumstances where we are down in the valley, but then there are other times that you're up on the mountain. So whatever it is, um, give thanks, give thanks. And, you know, share the love, um, share the care and always smile, always smile. Somebody might need your smile today, tomorrow or the next day. And God bless you too and uh, the work that you do and where you are serving your purpose today. Naka.